0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the fourth episode of the India-focused podcast series that we are doing at the FM Times podcast along with the awesome Tarun. We've discussed set the context, we've discussed the amazing MOS framework which was led down by Tarun where we looked at how do you uh, you know, look at managing and integrating multiple sites, operations, specialization, uh, strategic framework, how you can really act on all of this. And everything sort of culminated into the fact that output-driven contracts versus input-driven contracts are going to become a natural norm in India. There may be still time for it, but it's eventually happening. And with that sort of opening note, I would like to welcome my co-host Tarun and... and and allow him to say hello to you guys. Hey Tarun, great to have you. Bittersweet moments last episode, but it's been a smooth ride. Just posted on LinkedIn. We've had a hundred plus hits in the last couple of weeks, which is the record. So you must be saying some right things, mate.
1: Okay, thank you for that. And uh, yes, uh, enjoyed the the journey so far on these last uh, few episodes. Look forward to our discussion today. And, and I hope we can, you know, tie the loose ends for our listeners by the end of this 30, 40-minute session.
0: Awesome. So let's get started without any further ado. So, so Tarun, I mean, we'll probably not be at, you know, sort of a different stand on this. So we both feel and, and, and believe that output-based contracts are going to be the norm sooner or later. But there are certain fundamental questions that needs to be addressed. One that you've alluded to quite significantly and also some of the previous podcasts that we've done with with other hosts, we've had this question come up. What's the biggest element that must change in the contract management and procurement process for it to work in the output-based model or reverse for the output-based model to work? Because there seems to be complete misalignment over there. What are your thoughts, opening thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so I think for an output-based model to really work, I think we've talked about it a little bit in the last episode as well, that a couple a few things have to happen. One is there needs to be a, a real understanding of the kind of risk which is being transferred, right? I think this aspect of risk transfer and total cost of ownership is still missing. These are two key components uh, which seem to be missing from the dialogues that we drive, right? Because clearly what happens is the expectation on the customer side is to assume all the risk, right? Yet be paid for it in a dimension which is manpower oriented, not effort oriented. That is number one. The second aspect to this other than risk is clearly defined and measurable SLAs. And I think that comes from the customer first, right? Because what is it that you are at the end of the day rewarding? Are you rewarding 20 or 30 people cleaning certain square feet of area? Or are you rewarding the fact that I need X square feet area cleaned in 2 hours or 3 hours and I need it to a certain standard. And that standard can be measured by maybe bacteria levels. If it's a toilet or surface bacteria, it could be measured by air quality if we are looking at certain particle counts in the air would be another way to measure that right and third way to measure that is in terms of uh, visual inspection where you look for accumulated dust etc so there are various ways that you can put in criteria and what I find here is that it is easier to translate a lot of this in the technical side because technical side you know we know that a certain transformer will behave a certain way A UPS fleet bank will behave a certain way, right? So there are certain what I would call uh, robust indicators that you can sort of hone in on when you're looking at time of certain pieces of equipment. But when it comes to effort, unfortunately, we don't have a productivity scale in India. And that is my final point that on the house, especially on soft services side, we don't have a defined productivity scale, Umesh, which makes it incredibly hard to move from very subjective levels of validation to an objective level of response.
0: I mean, I completely concur with you. What you're trying to say is that, for example, if I'm looking at an equipment, I could probably say that I would want an uptime of X percent. And that could be a very Very good indicator with an efficiency level of X. So you could add two, three numbers, which would really be sort of uncontested in that sense. But I agree with you that it becomes very difficult to do that in the context of soft services, where there are no direct numbers that you could look at. But just a question on that. So given the fact that we see that making movement on SLAs and very defined SLAs in soft services is going to be a challenge, does that mean that? moving to output driven contracts is probably first going to happen for hard services or engineering services versus happening for soft services? Not
1: necessarily. I believe mm-hmm. that there are aspects towards technical cleaning which are emerging okay. when you look at areas like data center cleaning or you look at areas like hazardous chemicals. If you're storing uh, certain medicines, type of medicines or consumer you know, FMCG type products in a warehouse. Right. And air quality and response in that warehouse. I think all of these area or the spaces lend themselves to a objective response. So I think there are spaces where it can go hand in hand along with the technical side, I believe. And, the, and I do believe that as infrastructure investments deepen in India and widen in India as, as is happening, you are going to get more and more pressure for India to start looking at infrastructure from an international lens. Because a lot of these are global outfits, they have certain SOPs which they are driving globally. Mm. They want those entities to be translated seamlessly into various countries and operating environments that they are in. And I think that will also lend an impetus and it already is because, you know, especially if you look at critical infrastructure, you look at aviation, for example, there is a turnaround. There is a set time in which you need to turn around a toilet, for example. Okay. There's an international standard to this because you cannot keep a toilet locked or in service beyond a certain beyond a t- certain time period. Similarly, if you're looking at cleaning in the data center space, again, if you're looking at live DCs, right. live DC is a huge area which is going mm. to emerge in a much bigger way as we move forward because of the fact that co-location DCs who have large customers who are you know housing their server spaces and and looking at seamless uh, server up from these providers will mandate the fact that they will need a certain type dust free environment to ensure that their uptime is maintained and their cost to serve also comes down because in a lot of these uh, spaces if your risk increases it actually speaks to your insurance premium for example Uh so or or it speaks to the fact that if there is uh, poor air quality then of course your cooling is affected it is Uh diluted and that can have an uh, adverse impact on on the service right right Uh, and and lead to certain failures Uh so how do you mitigate that risk how do you avoid that risk And how do you translate that into cost savings for yourself and again for your customers? So those are drivers which I believe will certainly play a very robust part as these conversations move forward. And uh, last but not the least, I have said this even earlier, that the behavioral change, underlying behavioral change, is absolutely necessary and uh, underpins the state of, because if the behavior doesn't change for us uh, as providers, for the customers who are using our services, as well as for the users. So there are three different stakeholders here, distinct stakeholders, users of the building, etc. If they also don't put any pressure like this, then the the uh, space of change will be slow. But what I as I said is that there will be engines which will move the rest of the train. And like what happens, you know, there'll be certain vanguards in in this whole space which will drive the technology. They'll drive the conversations, and the rest of the industry will then piggyback and you know uh, take a leaf out of that book and start the process of adoption and absorption.
0: Yeah. So just carrying on from that, you know, Tarun, I mean, when we've looked at in the current model, you have a checklist of things that you have to do, whether you are doing a PPM or you're doing your cleaning or, you know, there's a preferred checklist, right? I mean, and you just have to show, it's basically a clicking a tick box. Now, as soon as you move away from that input driven model, how does the... Like how do you really get down to that transparency where you say that okay I attend, I don't need to attend to this equipment every month, I'll do it when it needs to. There is a, there's a sort of a conversation change because at all, at all this point in time the teams you know have had engagement with customers or presentations with customers where they've just shown what they have done. All of a sudden now you need to probably say why you have done what you have done and why you aren't doing what you are not doing. How does that sort of go in from the transparency perspective? So, do you, do you no. really start doing that right away, even before getting into the OBC mode, the output driven uh, mode?
1: No. So, let me try and answer your question in the context of an example. Okay. Right? What happens currently is if I am, let's say, entering into any technical cleaning discussion, Okay. If it's a manpower based kind of discussion, it will start with, Uh oh, you know, they will give us the square feet area, they'll give us a time frame in which perhaps they'll say, look, we need this job done or completed. Right. right? And uh, and they will say, look, uh, you know, maybe what kind of equipment? There may be some ask on on the equipment side in terms of Uh what kind of vacuum cleaners or the pressure employed by that vacuum cleaner or the HEPA filter in question, etc. Now, if I am in this kind of trajectory, Right okay. then, this is really looking at more the process and the components and the breakdown, not the end. End result should be the the, the output-based discussion would more be that look, I really don't care what HEPA filter you use because you are the expert. I want certain parts per square feet or whatever that, or I want it to a certain standard, international standard of cleaning. Like you have ISO 14644 certification. They may say that look, if it's a clean room, I need a level four or a level five, or it's you know a normal air quality is level nine and anything above that level eight level seven is what you would see in a data center and they would basically prescribe that output and say look that is what i need you to give me a certification on at the end of the day right so my whole process is now built because i now have a free hand as an expert Uh. to build that process and tell you that look omesh this is what i will be doing this is how i will view the space i will do maybe Two rounds or three rounds of cleaning depending on whether you are handing it to me in a project stage before i do maybe i will first remove visible dust and then i will go and scrub the and give you the right level of uh, particle count etc okay. but it is up to me how i recommend that and if i fail i don't get paid i have taken that risk on That now the mm-hmm. risk is on me as mm-hmm. opposed to you defining that look this is the filter you use this is the machine i want you to use you mm-hmm. will run the machine for two hours then it's not my risk i'm only going there with a mindless kind of a team who will just Correct. execute and be task oriented they are order takers they will take your orders and at the end of the day you can't tell me i will not pay for it you have to pay for it because you asked me
0: to do it in a certain way and i did it right because you're still defining the inputs and uh, not the outputs.
1: absolutely so mm. that is the essence is the change has to come from the fact, that is what I meant, that there has to be a level of trust and a level of risk transfer. This also means that the buyer, whether it's the procurement side or the user side, need to recognize that look, what is my core area of competency and what do I really need to focus on?
0: Right. Right. Do I want
1: to focus on the fact and spend my time on defining all the SOPs for these guys or should I be telling them that look, this is what I'm paying you for. Right. And this is the end result I expect, and right. this is the tolerance within which I will accept or deny, right. and beyond which uh, there is uh, there is no payment, and these are your penalty clauses, etc., and that then gets into a contract, and away right. you run with it, right, right, right. So, so the the essence of, of a the 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 discussion has, like I said, therefore the behavioural change. The customer education in them understanding that ultimately their time is better spent on if I'm in procurement, I would want to make sure that whether I'm uh, vendor consolidating or I'm looking at greater efficiencies in my supply chain uh, in terms of identification and validation and selection of vendors. That should be my bigger focus than to take each vendor to task and say, look, this is how I want you to do the job, and these are the number of people I need. So maybe we are spending more time in defining an area for ostensibly an agency who should be an expert in that area themselves, right? I mean, I don't go to Siemens and tell them how to install their system, if it is baggage handling or if it is, uh, you know, Thermax is installing a boiler. I right. don't tell them how to install the boiler, I basically tell them what my need from that boiler, what are Correct. my requirements, what is Correct. the spec that I need, I Correct. need to define those specs and against those specs, those guys need to come in and deliver the solution.
0: So essentially, right? when you look at, if I if I may jump in over here Tarun, so essentially when you look at, there has to be a clear first set of communication between the user group and the procurement. Whereas the user group has the sole responsibility of defining the specifications and say this is what I need as a requirement, right? And the second is when they when they give it back to the, to the procurement, then between the two there needs to be a mechanism, and not between the two, in fact, between the FM as well, and say, this is how we are going to look at a faceless verification or an or an unbiased verification of this on an ongoing basis. Is is Do that you. where we are heading? Do- Okay. Totally,
1: because see, see, I absolutely agree with you. See, I, I, I'll define that a little more if I may. Okay. Yes. So let's say I get another query. That, right. Look, we now upping the ante on our core engineering expertise for a ABC customer. Okay. Yeah, let's say so that ABC customer comes up to me and says, "I am upping the ante. We are we are no longer going to uh, operate uh, like we used to." And what I want to now do is I will define maybe the job description. I will tell you the kind of skill set and the mix and the level of experience, etc. or competency that I need. But you guys come and propose to me, how will you address the situation in terms of getting me not only the right people, but also helping me retain them because that is your problem. So right from the right selection, the right identification, the right validation of that individual and then the Overall retention of that individual in that environment, in that ABC environment hmm. has to be then my responsibility as a vendor partner. As opposed to they hand holding that whole process and actually spending enormous amount of bandwidth on act- on doing my job along with me. Now, which doesn't make sense, which is not efficient. Which doesn't make sense because ultimately they are maybe a core engineering team and their head of engineering probably would have done his homework and would have figured out that look this is these are the number of people i need on these class of systems this is what has worked in the past this is the kind of you know skill set etc we we require and then they would come to an agency like us to say you know this is the kind of onboarding we need to do there is a war for talent these are the zones where we are looking at maybe there are other companies who are coming in in a very large way there so what is it that you will do to help us retain our people, given the war for talent, given the fact that there'll be a number of outfits competing for limited uh, skill sets. So therefore, I think that that reinforces what you summarized, that unless and until this kind of shift in in understanding perception, even I would say in requirements happen, we will continue to then, you know, ride the same horse at the same pace, Uh, without changing of the goalposts because what essentially that does if we don't make that change is that you are actually expending double the resources on a singular problem set and which is highly, highly inefficient because you are paying an external vendor and you continue to do the job yourself, which doesn't make sense at all.
0: I mean, it's like, again, as you mentioned in the last uh, episode as well, that it's like having your cake and eating it too. So you are trying to define the output, also define the input and there is no you know reward for the FM company for any kind of an optimization that they do, right. But let's say you cross that hurdle right I mean and this is this is one of the points that I've been always thinking of is that right now the conversation between the FM and the customer, right let's take example of the data center or any any end customer use case right uh, or an airport for example, has largely been checklist oriented. I mean there might be some standards that, that one has to adhere to, but still it's it's very time based, it is schedule based. There is very little that you do from the perspective of altering that, right? Let's say you've crossed that hurdle. You have well-defined, you know, SLAs from the perspective of how, what indicators are you going to use to measure the quality of the service that the FM is delivering, but then how do you make that change on transparency? Like, because the current conversation is not on those data points. The current conversation has very less of data involved when you have the conversation, so. Is, is the change going to be too sudden, Tarun? Or is the change going to be? It
1: will be gradual and certainly it is not one size fits all or hmm. one model that apply everywhere. This will hmm. also be, if you remember, one of hmm. the things we also mentioned initially, hmm. Hmm. I had mentioned seven points. I had said hmm. right. there are structural issues around policy, behavior and value. Hmm. And I had said there are functional impacts around hmm. skill Segmentation focus automation data these were some of the points that we had mentioned and talked about in the earlier. Now, if you if you pick on the automation data stream, now if you, I mean look at compliance, okay, compliance alone hmm. is it can be a game changer for the client. I believe.
0: When you say compliance, just to be clear, is it the legal compliance or compliance of FM uh, with what the customer wants?
1: So the FM. So let's okay. say compliance okay. are of two kinds. One is right. the financial compliances which are GST oriented etc. And then there is the whole HR component where you are having you know your all Sorry. of that your, yeah, leave wages and all that and there may be certain operational compliances as well mm. right mm. around overtime and attrition and mm. what have you. Right? Mm. So there may be some area. So it depends on how you define some of these and some are bucketed some are not. But having said that this area alone begs right. huge scrutiny and I'll tell you why. You have loads of companies today who are running internal and external audits. They have big four or other auditors who are auditing them, if they are a global outfit or a pan India outfit, they would right. have their head office people coming in auditing them internally. How do you bring that data transparently, easily accessible, consistently accessible in one area, right? now. Government also is pushing because they are saying, "Look, I mean, there is a law. For example, in the state of Haryana, that you can, you need to have your all your wage registers and all available on a website." Now, I would beg to, be differ there because I would say is the easiest thing to hack into a website, right? So why would you, you know, why would you do that? Because the second thing is that how do you then because it's a government requirement that you you are also putting out private information. Yeah. which is only under and you would probably end up violating certain privacy laws because yeah. you are putting out individual private information yeah. into a public door environment which yeah. is not foolproof, which yeah. is easily hackable and accessible not only by uh, let's say if I'm a agency providing certain services, my competitors could get access to that information and know exactly what I'm paying my my teams like and that. and it could also be other you know elements who are you know criminal elements or other elements who, who would misuse that data okay right. so right. so but that that doesn't mean that there are that there are no solutions out there there are no alternatives out there of course there are you can create a certain portals you can create a certain data banks which have access to mechanisms with, with proper login ids passwords they could be behind Cyber security plays and walls of that particular company, right. and you could have a very, very robust solution. So yeah. that is one way you would create that transparency, which would which would lend itself really well because your you know your the client FM team would breathe easy because their HR people, their procurement people, yeah. their even their operations guys would have a very easy transparent access to, yeah. uh, access to that data. Yeah. And similarly, we as a provider would also feel really good because we will be able to inject a certain transparency to our client and rather than have uh, you know number of these daily reports coming in and in various form on various excel spreadsheets, you give a consolidated view where you can then run those numbers on a monthly basis and have a very very concerted focused discussion. So that's one area.
0: Right. And that saves saves a lot of time and effort. I mean, and then it points you to forward looking stuff rather than always looking at things at retrospect.
1: Precisely. And similarly, you can create that for, you know, various areas. I mean, it could be around the training area. You know, if you are imparting certain training, whether it's technical, refresher, soft services, hard services training, how do you... Uh, measure the effectiveness of that training, how are the scores of individual candidates who are being trained now. Mind you, there are certain global outfits who are running those trainings even with us, but globally because they have a system already in place where even if they've outsourced it to a vendor like us, they expect people who are working on their sites to go through certain training modules and score a minimal level. If they don't, then they are out of the system. Got it. Right? Because that is how they build and retain quality. Mm. Right? Because Mm -hmm. these are not uh, just superficial trainings, these are knowledge based trainings. They want to know whether you are able to handle the work that has been assigned to you at at, at an operational level. So now imagine today, what I'm saying is these are fits and starts. These are not consistently applied. Now, wherever there is a client who strongly believes in that, it is obviously coming through and you see the results. But wherever there isn't a, a sort of a mind space for this, Uh, you get a lot of static, right? You really don't know uh, how your people are then behaving and how do you get everybody to a certain quality standard or to a certain benchmark that you want to drive at a particular level, uh, quality level at a site. So that's another way. A third way that you can start to look at this is through the area of like we have talked about, the actual SLAs, uh, what is the frequency of of any kind of service? Can I capture that service? You know, do I know what the last actions were on that service? Rather than be fed into a register which is lying on a site and there's a follow-up register, grievance register, some other registers, uh, you'd rather say, look, why can't I just put it on, you know, maybe you leverage RFID tags or you leverage QR codes and you build a solution which would help you to understand what was the, so, so even if a new member is coming in, a new supervisor comes in internally or externally, Umesh, they are able to pick up the thread seamlessly because they know exactly where the thing was left off. So for example, when was the last service done? What were the actions? What were the pending actions? Right. What was not? Maybe they suggested that, look, you can delay the change of this part by another three months or four months. Now, who's keeping track of it? How do we ensure that that part change then happens at the desired timing? Now, if we were to be able to automate that, if we were to be able to provide a clean line of sight on that, then the whole game becomes far more focused on site improvement, site quality, site development, rather than on admin activity around that site.
0: I think one of the interesting points that I picked up, I mean, which clearly I did not think through, I mean, not probably didn't ponder much over it when I wanted to talk about transparency, was one of the interesting points that you mentioned where the transparency between FM and the customer probably would not just need to happen at the SLA level, maybe out of value creation as to kind of people you are deploying at that site and providing them not access to all information but relevant information on the kind of skills that you are imparting, cross-scaling, upscaling so on and so forth. So that obviously raises the bar for transparency much higher and and probably could be a great way to get more business.
1: We then complete the full circle back to what we started with saying that how do we engender trust right as as FM providers in this space. Hmm. Not only how do I engender trust but we've also talked about how do I become more of a strategic partner Hmm. And part of their process rather than overlaying myself on their process. So yeah. which means that I embed my service as a seamless part of their existing processes hmm. and help them improve those or you know re-engineer those if in case they, they need hmm. it, etc. Rather than overlaying myself on their process, and then that's where the disconnect remains because it's never a smooth relationship, no and matter perhaps, how long.
0: Perhaps that's how things have been at this point in time. I mean, they've always Absolutely. been response to RFPs, which have been decided, and you have very little say on 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 making any changes, bullet point changes to those RFPs. But that brings Absolutely. to uh, an interesting uh, sort of uh, segue from here, Tarun. We've spoken about a lot of things that must happen between the FM and the customer. The clear definition of output, the user group at the customer end uh, really having a say in defining the specification and then procurement going back and saying, okay, this is how we will dovetail between the three of us as FM user group and procurement or accounts and so this is how this is a clear mechanism of how the evaluation will have to happen, it would be worthwhile and ideal in in a lot of ways if this is all faceless, which means data driven, no dispute happening. Mm -hmm. So you're really changing And and the third important element is saying do away with those weekly reports and monthly reports. All important aspects is already available. You move yeah. your your weekly meetings to conversations on how to improve, where to improve, versus looking at a retrospective. So there's a all that again, and, and one of the points you mentioned that it's going to be gradual. None of yeah. this is happening like tomorrow. Uh, it's no binary, zero and one. But then also bring. So this is the FM and the customer side of things, Arun. How about the FM and the employee side of things? I mean, you've alluded to it bits and pieces, but i mean i also see the same thing changing so if, if i were to give you one example let's say an fm company doing hard services again i, I take example of hard services because i'm mostly used to that so let's say yeah. you have subscribed to saying that okay uh, a particular equipment is going to deliver x amount of uptime y amount of uh, efficiency and you have defined three four indicators using which your customer is going to evaluate your service that's done. That. How do you drill that down to the to the to the people who do it on the shop floor, who actually do it? So because now the decision is going to be okay. I don't need to maintain it. I need to maintain it every fifteen days versus doing it every thirty days. So two questions there, Tarun, and not questions but really points on articulation. How do you drive that accountability? And second, how do you change that conversation? as a result of driving that accountability with your work. See, I,
1: I, this is my personal belief that we need to start incentivizing performance at a site level. Currently, it is all about cost mesh So nowhere are we incentivized if you meet a certain target or exceed a certain target.
0: I'll just probably stop you because this is again a very interesting point. So you were saying that customer incentivizes FM, FM should also look at incentive structure for their teams. Absolutely. What I would
1: want is that if I've got a guy coming in and Hmm. I mean let's say he's a soft services guy. Right? Okay. Yeah, And yeah. I mean, he's doing his poor cleaning and I, you know, literally you pay him whatever, 20,000 bucks a month, right? Right. right? But what if I tell him that look, if you meet all your targets, targets and let's say, let's say I tell him that look, if you're cleaning uh, X square feet and you clean X plus one or that team starts cleaning X plus one, right? Mm-hmm. As a result of it, I can get cost savings because maybe I'm able to reduce some headcount. At the same time, I'm able to maybe increase productivity because i yeah. so what, what I would then say is that look I would be happy to pay you extra maybe it's thousand bucks or two thousand bucks as an incentive because mm. of the savings that you get yeah absolutely you raise the bar right mm. and 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 uh, similarly if if I am and it's on the downside as well if you are not able and I am penalized then you are penalized as well right mm. so because it's happening even on the production floor right if you go on the shop floor they all have production targets and each team is Putting out certain production uh, targets out every day. Uh, these right. targets are measured either hourly or daily, depending on the operation. Right. right, right, right. And you'll incentivize that if you can increase production by 5%, 10%, this is what you get. If you lower the production, it impacts your bonuses and et cetera, et cetera across the line. Mm. So if I start to bring that energy and that thought process into a site level, you're going to see a very, very different quality at yeah. a site. And in fact, you will see a very different response at a site. I would actually even go further. And this is my take. My take is that the customer, let's say, you come to me and Mm. say, look, I have 100 people on this particular site. And they do cleaning. Right. Okay. Right. What if I was to tell you that, Omesh, no, that's fine. I will do this for you, right, Mm. with, I don't know, 80 people or 75 people. And what I then, or I will charge you for 75 people, right? But this is the output, we we are not billing on people. I'm going to charge you the equivalent of 75 people, right? And give you immediately a 25% cost savings or 20% or 25 in labor terms but 20 maybe 18% or 15% in value terms Mm. okay Mm. so and you say oh this is very good go ahead now what do I do in this example I put in 65 people I'm an expert I incentivize those 65 people that if you get me 100% billing right right, where I'm not penalized Mm. I will give you an incentive and that incentive comes out of the delta between 65 and 75
0: makes sense so if you have the delta you get a pie of that if you don't have the delta you absolutely but the other way to look at it tarun is i mean one of the other ways and, and this is again the the way I, I look at it how do you actually retain 100 people right and 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 do more services so this is where cross scaling comes into perspective so and again one of the points that we we discussed right where you said that uh, specialization is going to come into force so let's say if i'm managing data centers i actually don't qualify a resource saying that this is a cleaning expert i mean, I mean obviously there has to be uh, some bit of common point in that but i how can i cross skill that person that the a person can do two kinds of roads connected but distinct which are currently being done by distinct people and that allows me not an, only an opportunity to improve my profitability via productivity improvement but at the same point in time increase my revenue as well and, and which, is, which is the way I think, you know, we, we should probably look at and if I were to take a parallel example in development, you know, software development, you have full stack developers, you have, you have like people who only do the front end, people who only do the back end, but if you have someone who could do it the entire end to end, more of it, then you're obviously shipping things faster, you are reducing your cost, there are advantages on both and disadvantages, but I think this is where I see an opportunity where you could not only just focus on the cost reduction, but actually also look at revenue uh, uptake, and keep your billing the same.
1: Absolutely. So I think you make a good point, and that that's another way to look at it. Let's say we have 100 people at a site, right? Right, right. What we yeah. don't do very well currently yeah. is measure where the effort bubbles because what is happening is we are only looking at it from the lens that these 100 people need to be there from 9 to 5 or whatever that shift is. Because that's the
0: requirement and we need to fulfill that. That's
1: that, yeah. And we need to fulfill that. But we are not saying, we are not actually seeing that how those guys are actually spending their time at the site level,
0: right? How
1: much time does, does it take for that guy? Is he actually spending five hours, six hours? Is he actually using up all eight hours? Or is it that in certain areas, the guy is actually, even eight hours is not enough because he's swamped. Absolutely, that team is completely swamped. And in other areas, the guy is uh, out after four hours and he's then futzing around the whole day because he has nothing else to do. But the question is, how do I identify these bubbles, right? And, and processize them so that I can redeploy my resources, those hundred people to optimal requirements. It's a, so your argument, which is well taken, that the site may actually need hundred people. There may not be any room for savings in terms of headcount or other, but what it can happen, what can happen there is there can be a search for productivity. And that can only be unfolded if we have the right SLAs governing the, the site, backed by the right effort where we measure that effort. If it is, if it is, let's say, soft, soft services, then maybe a time and motion study. We need to understand right. how the defects are, which we don't do, to be very honest.
0: But again, Very few, I think as you mentioned that there's no incentive to do that as well at this
1: point. There again. is no incentive because currently nobody gives, see what is a site survey today? A site survey today is just counting the number of assets and going and looking at, invariably you look at what your competitor has right. and you say, oh, the guy has 100 people, so I can also bill 100 people, maybe I'll do 95. Right. But that's the max. But you are not really applying your mind to say that, okay, how many elevators are there? How many floors is this? what kind of uh, time is it going to take to clean each floor, right? What is the kind of movement do I need up and down? Do I need half the people deployed on higher floors or lower floors, etc. Do I need some more people on a certain floor because there is more activity on that floor and right. therefore there is greater effort required? Now, we, we are not we are not even thinking like that. I mean, there's no
0: okay. scientific probably thought process given. Some may be given but… Quite at all. So, right. so
1: give you an idea. In the West, they are already exploring with what you know, like in the when you draw uh, these uh, in architect uh, in the world of architecture. When you mm-hmm. are uh, drawing plans up, mm-hmm. you are using certain uh, scanning technology right. to actually understand how your spaces work in a three D format. Mm-hmm. Right. So your height, your breadth, your flooring, etc. And while you are scanning these spaces. You're also looking at, you know, how many fire extinguishers hanging there, etc. So you're also able to take in massive data in terms of, you know, the firefighting equipment installed, number of sprinklers, the building information
0: modeling, three-dimensional. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so Mm -hmm. you do a complete 3D modeling, Mm -hmm. which would then lend huge impetus to actually understanding that what is actually the square feet area, cleanable area, which Mm -hmm. you really need Mm -hmm. and where you are Mm focused, right? And how much of it would be rotated because some of it not would not be done on a daily basis some would be done maybe weekly some is bi-weekly some is every alternate day etc so how do you define those uh, deployment schedules right and optimize the level of engagement at that site level. now that is where technology comes in uh, that's another way we can inject technology into the system and start to start to sort of leverage on that finally we again don't do this enough but imagine the amount of wastage that we see in terms of, you know, consumables, mm. chemicals and consumables, because we still are using archaic forms of measurement and, and, and dis- disbursement of that, mm. right? Mm. So, so, for example, today, yes, you do have, uh, you know, a lot of these large outfits like Kimberly Clark and all have technologies where right. they'll tell you how much toilet paper you're using or how many tissues you're using and they will even prevent you know overuse right because they it will be dispensed maybe one at a time or, or etc so right. there are ways you can even control those areas but that means a certain amount of capex and again that uh, understanding needs to be deployed that what is the return on that if i was to deploy those systems right at my site what would be the payback in terms of actual savings uh, right. over a period of time again ties
0: back all of again, these are loose right yeah so, I mean basically again ties back to the point that you've got to have incentive as an FM company to do all of that I mean if there's totally. no incentive that you probably won't do in, in, in that case. And, and everything almost so, so the transparency also becomes important from the FM employee standpoint of view right not just the FM customer standpoint of view and that that essentially means, Tarun, that there's a significant investment that's needed to happen at, at collection of data, as you just been mentioning, right? Not at, at across the board, because data would lead to transparency, and we're not collecting everything right now. Probably not everything can be collected; it may be expensive. So, Correct. is is that sort of a bottleneck around OBC, right? There is a certainly
1: a bottleneck, uh, Umesh, because this need speaks to change of behavior, speaks to certain adoption and absorption mm. of technologies. Yeah. We, we in the FM space have been largely, we've been lagging in terms of technology, embracing new technologies, right? Uh, it's, it's not, it's something that is starting to come in. So yes, there are BMSs and you are know, building monitoring management systems. You have certain things which are starting to come in. But at least if I look at it purely from an India context, we are still way, way behind our counterparts in the West. Yeah. And I think there's still a very long way to, to, to but... But there are, you know, today you have remote monitoring of DG sets. It is available. These technologies are available. Uh, you have automated uh, solutions for chillers, you know, chiller cleaning systems. And these are agnostic of, of, of the, it's not necessarily that I have to go to that particular OEM only to clean a certain type of chiller. Uh, so there are there are uh, bits and bobs which are coming in. But you're absolutely right. There, there is a slight reticence. But I think as the critical mass increases on high end infrastructure and people realize that you are actually maintaining you know hundreds and thousands of crores worth of asset base right yeah. and that needs a certain response yeah. coupled with the fact that i think even the user teams are becoming uh, smaller uh, right. there is a greater accent to outsource everybody is trying to find synergies and cost savings and i think as you see more offloaded i think it is but natural that there will be momentum to start demanding this kind of visibility from from your outsourced partner right so even though yes there is there is a bit of a slowness there to embrace these uh, ideas hmm. i think we you know as we move ahead and with, with the kind of monetization of assets that we are seeing and the kind of deployment of monies that we are seeing in the indian market I think it's a matter of time that you know we we will be held to a very different standard, Amish.
0: So, which essentially sort of connects to my my last question that I had, but probably you've answered it. That there are some sectors that are more likely to see the evolution of output-based contracts than the others. So, clearly, for example, you've been laying a lot of stress on on infrastructure as a sector, uh, manufacturing, and even in manufacturing critical components, let's say pharma as a sector, because there is. The the way to get money is beyond a couple of areas. So, for example, risks are compliances are a huge cost. So, anything that you do to 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 mitigate that is is huge. So, I mean, for example, even when you look at airports or, or data centers, clearly they have come out uh, a number of times. So, those are sectors which perhaps are likely to see output driven contracts coming in first versus you seeing them in you know an office park or a uh, IT park. Would would that be would that be uh, Correct uh, sort of articulation of, of everything.
1: Uh, yeah. So so in 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 one line, I will answer that Umesh to say that any anybody which is operating in critical infrastructure space, like mm. pharma manufacturing, like storage of medicines or mm. FMCG goods in a warehouse, mm. or data centers, or aviation, mm. these lend themselves very well to this kind of thinking, which they need to evolve. If they do not, if they do not, because these are already plugged into global ecosystems. Got and it. These are not divorced, divorced from global ecosystems. Right? Right. right. So if I'm a Procter & Gamble or a Unilever or I'm a GlaxoSmithKline or whatever, then I have a certain protocol and certain SOPs that I need to maintain worldwide, whether I'm storing medicine or I'm mixing formulations or I'm doing something. And and if I am not able to create that same Ecosystem in in various manufacturing or storage uh, systems that I'm running, then I run the risk of hurting my brand yeah, at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Even even aviation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even in the moment you walk through a Mumbai airport or a Delhi airport, and even as a, as a passenger, and if you right. notice that right. the louvers are backed up, they are choked, you're not getting a very clean feel, it, you know, you know that that this is not in line with with what you are expecting from that
0: companies. correct
1: absolutely because especially if you are a well traveled international traveler you 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 are able to make that comparison very st- and therefore i think there will be a certain i think you know to use porter's uh, porter's uh, michael porter's example that you have the five forces where there will be market pressure and that market pressure will probably be felt more global Uh, ecosystems, even though these ecosystems are then operating in various spaces across the world in different operating environments, uh, including India. But I think because of the common underpinning of or the underpinnings of processes and and the kind of outputs that they require for them to be successful because they're running global brands, uh, that will uh, push the envelope for the discussion in, in the right direction as far as India goes.
0: sounds awesome great way to conclude so i'll probably allow instead of me summing up if you were to tarun sum up or some of the key takeaways from the last four episodes and say what would they be two or three key takeaways as conclusion to this entire series right from the first episode where we let down the framework or or the overall state to the current uh, uh, episode where we have really gone to the depth of, of running and executing output-based contracts.
1: Yeah, so I think very briefly, I would say define very, very ruthlessly the market that you want to play in okay. uh, because you're affecting this change. It, it cannot be on a very broad front. You need to okay. be very focused. Uh, it could be a sector, it could be two sectors, maybe it is a service footprint that you want to redefine but ruthlessly define the market you want to play in, build your infrastructure in that segment of service holistically, whether it is automation, whether it is data, whether it is policy impact, whether it is the skill that you want to and the core competency that you want to bring in, I think that needs to be extremely well thought through. And then, you know, it's like Sun Tzu, the art of war, you concentrate all your forces on a on a very narrow front, so that you have a high chance of a breakthrough. Yeah. Okay. So, so that would be my second, the third takeaway on this is that when you are, when you are looking at your overall framework or, or the market, and as well as the, the 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 kind of skill or automation or data etc. that you want to bring in, mm. you or competency that you want to create, you want to be very very targeted in terms of the customers that you want to go after right? Because in the initial stage, you also need to partner with the right customer to get a favorable response. It cannot happen in a silo. Mm. Okay, so, so that is very, very important that, that you identify uh, very quickly from your customer domain, who would be the people who would you know embrace that change, who would walk with you as a partner to effect that change on the ground mm. and, and again, I would not do it, you know, all sites at once, maybe focus on one or two, approve the model and then, you know, broaden it out, right? So so that would be in a nutshell that I would say should be the pragmatic and practical, I would say, take out. And then of course, you know, the good things about, oh, what should be the formula and how should I, differ, you know, that is all part of the sort of the next rung of engagement if you will you know as you step deeper into the engagement uh, but i think as a as a as a as a broad definition i think these three areas you need to be absolutely mindful for to get get uh,
0: tangible success that's absolutely great i mean i think you've you've summed it up well the third point where you mentioned identifying the cohort of customers with which you would want to try this is fundamentally very important often it's told to startups as well that the initial few customers that you work with especially in the context of b2b really define how far you go and how fast you go Uh, so probably over here it, it probably holds true as well so thanks a ton Tarun it's been a smooth ride a pleasure some amazing points out from you and really sum it up well in the context of all that we would see or probably aspire to see in the context of of facilities management in india and probably in the region as well but largely in india so thank you so much for being part of the the series and the the episodes it was a pleasure to host you and to have this conversation and yeah i we'll would probably just leave it to you if you want to have any other parting uh note to the listeners for one last time
1: so well, thanks again, Umesh, for, for organizing this. I think it's been, been a very, very learning experience, at least for me as well, and helped to crystallize some of my thoughts on this. So it's been a, a fantastic uh, opportunity to exchange uh, views. I think we have a long way to go, but it's a very, very exciting space. I I, I said that at the beginning and I say it at the end as well, uh, right. because it's, it's, you know, it, it's always easy to be part of a, uh, industry or a sector which is already on a high. I think right. this is where uh, you have a lot of risk. You have a lot of therefore commensurate rewards in this in this particular sector. The complexity that we are dealing with is very very high. It's a very yeah. it it's not something where you can just you know fiddle around on one aspect and the other aspects will fall into place. Right. I think we have. Uh, you know we have that that uh, challenge right. and therefore uh, great space to be in and I look forward to to maybe you know a few more uh, discussions like this in the future.
0: Absolutely Maito I'm, I'm absolutely certain we'll have that conversation and to the listeners uh, thank you so much for being part of the episode and the series all throughout we hope that you get certain key takeaways at the end we will in a week or so take out an ebook on the same as well so if if some of you are not very well-versed with podcasts, there's no reason to be disappointed. You will still get a flavor of everything that Tarun and myself has discussed over the last four weeks. So thanks all once again. Take care and we'll see you soon with another episode at the intersection of facilities management and digital transformation. Till then, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.